everybody, you're listening to the Rock Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rock bondage. Rock bondage is as play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Friction Live, who offer amazing kink online live classes, including a lot of rope things, but also plenty of other skills you can use to enhance your rope scenes. Find them at frictionlive.ca. Thank you, Friction Live, for supporting the Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners and have been practicing together for around four years. We love sharing our enthusiasm for rope with you from our home in the lovely Thailand. Today we continue talking to Andrew James, PhD, an author and educator in the field of alternative sexualities. Author of six books on alternative relationships and sexuality, including the wonderful Erotic Slavehood as Christina Abernathy and The Way of the Pleasure Slave, his most recent book. A trans man who identifies as both a master and a daddy, AJ has been involved in DS and the kink community since 1992 and has been in a 24-7 authority transfer dynamic with his wife for eight years. This is part two of the interview we started in the previous episode, so you'll probably get much better context if you listen to that first, in case you haven't already. Now back to our interview of AJ. You've talked about a few different um, archetypes of a DS or MS. Um, give us some examples and ground us in some um, specifics of how maybe a rope daddy might play differently from a rope master or how um, you talked about service orientated rope bottoms versus obedience um, orientated ones. How, how do partners express these different aspects of themselves with rope? So I would, I would say that, you know, again, these, these archetypes are, they're very fluid. You know, this is there is no one true way. No, absolutely. This, absolutely. Right. We know that. We all know that. Right. Um, so for me, um, the daddy archetype or daddy energy, whatever language you want to use for that, is really about um, nurturing and protecting and caring for my girl. So it's about meeting her needs. Um, so for me, a scene style that might go with that is very, uh, very intimate very sensual, probably playful. So there might be some teasing, that sort of thing. Um, it can even verge onto into sort of service topping in the sense of I'm going to do the tie that you really enjoy because this is your, this is your treat or this is your, um, this is your reward for being a good girl, that kind of thing. Um, so for me, daddy rope would be like maybe floor work, maybe Ainawa, with lots and lots of body to body contact, maybe decorative rope or rope that is there for sort of aesthetic purposes, you know, mm-hmm. beautiful rope, pretty rope, even cute rope. You know, mm-hmm. you can have the like the, the one that is all the colors of, you know, all the colors of the rainbow, that kind of thing. So definitely not the, the, you know, kind of classic Kimbaku aesthetic, but cute, you know, if you want to have Hello Kitty in there, have Hello mm-hmm. Kitty in there. Right. Um, for me, master is there's more emotional distance in that role for me and more, much more of an orientation toward control. So something like that, a scene style that I could imagine there might be more about restraint, could be objectification, even that you are this, this thing or a tool. 
Um, you might use like control rope as to control the person, say for sexual service. You know, we're going to you know, put you in a some sort of a harness and perhaps use the stem of that harness to force you to your knees, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, or sadism, more humiliation, perhaps. So that's master rope to me is like, you know, be hard rope, like seminola, you know, maybe, maybe suspension, even be, just because of the, the distance, the physical distance between the partners. Um, predicament bondage and what might be, might incorporate some, some other kinds of SM. So maybe rough body play or impact or other things like that. So that's how I see those things being different. And obviously there's, you know, there can be the, the strict sadistic daddy or the gentle master. It's, these are not hard and fast. And then from the bottom side with obedience, and this is something that I have, I've worked with quite a bit, um, with, with my girl, this, the kind of what I call, um, consensual non-consent light. So we're not, not, we'll talk about what are, what are the options? What are the things that you're interested in? What are the things that you are willing to try? But I'm not necessarily going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. So I know what the menu is and what the choices are. But when we go into the scene, she's kind of going in blind. She doesn't know exactly what I'm going to do. She doesn't necessarily know whether it's going to be daddy who walks into the bedroom or it's going to be master or if it's going to be somebody else entirely. If it's going to be somebody with a primal edge, like what exactly is happening? So her job then is to um, to go with it and to surrender to whatever it is that comes at her. Um, so that would be sort of an obedience oriented thing for a service oriented bottom. My, I know you've talked about this about like coiling rope, for example, doing these very practical things that are helpful to a rope top. One of the things that we do quite a bit is making sure that the room is arranged in a way that is tidy and really, um, you know, speaks to us in it, about sensuality or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish at that point. Um, Things like, as I said before, being a rope mannequin, in a sense, like allowing yourself to be the canvas for somebody else's art. Um, and also then things like, like I was saying, uh, doing service time on the dominant, if that's something mm. that they enjoy. Yeah, because it's more rare, but you can definitely find submissives who have rigging skills and dominants who really enjoy being tied up, right? Yeah, definitely. It, and it's funny because... One of the things that we say in MS often is that, you know, the roles that we choose, the size, side of the slash that we end up on doesn't necessarily reflect what people normally think of as a dominant personality type or a submissive personality type. Now, often there's alignment there, but sometimes not. I mean, there's why we have the idea of the power slave, for example. Mm -hmm. And the, the great irony is that when my, my girl and I got together, she actually was just about to place an ad in the paper to try to find a boy. And she was going to be mommy, basically. <laughs> that was the, the role that she wanted. Um, so she definitely, and in her day-to-day -day life, she is an extremely, I won't say extremely dominant, but she is, she is definitely a get-it-done person. She runs her own business. She is you know, all of those things. So she has that capacity to, to have those kind of competencies, but with the slave heart at the same time. Okay, that's that's quite beautiful. AJ, you've spoken a few times about eroticism. What for you can contribute to make a rope scene more erotic? A couple of, I mean, a couple of very practical things, really, just making sure that there are no distractions. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are. It's, 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 it's quite a wonderful book that talks about sexual response. And she has a metaphor that she uses about the uh, sexual response system. So there's like you, there are people who have a very sensitive gas pedal. So they can go from zero to fully aroused in half a second. And then there are people who have a very developed brake system. So it takes a while for them to get ready for sex. And, uh, it's there, and there are a lot of things that can get them to, to, uh, freeze up. So limiting any of those inhibiting factors, I think is really, really important. So, you know, some of them, these things are really obvious, like don't have your cell phone in the room and make sure that your kid's not going to walk in and lock the door, you know, make sure the place isn't messy, those kinds of things. But then we use a lot of um, kind of centering techniques, things like taking time to breathe together. You know, just I will put my hand on her upper arms or, or hold her in an embrace and synchronize our breathing. Um, sometimes I will even say things, you know, we, we have certain affirmations that we do every day as part of their just protocols that we have in place for our relationship. And we will sometimes use those um, before a scene as a way of reaffirming our intent toward each other and also honestly affirming consent at that moment. I mean, you know, I have blanket consent. She belongs to me, but that doesn't mean that I don't like to hear that. Yeah. Not only do I consent to this, but I actively really want this right now. Like, I think that is having somebody say, yes, I desire this. I desire you. I mean, that is, that is at the heart of eroticism really is that desire. Um, Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this podcast and sharing it with you, but your support can really help us pay for the hosting, the equipment and other critical costs. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope tutorials and gear so we get a small commission from your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, you could also donate to us directly on our Patreon either as a one-off amount or a monthly support that can be as little as the price of a cup of coffee. If you can't afford to do that, that's okay. Just enjoy the podcast and maybe tell a kinky friend or two about it. Now back to today's episode. This is really about thinking about all of the different senses and how you can play with those in the context of a scene. So, for example, with, um, with sight, a fairly obvious thing there would be the blindfold. You know, if you blindfold, you take mm -hmm. away somebody's sight, then their other senses are going to be heightened. Um, and of course, you can do that with hearing as well. You can put you can put headphones on or earplugs, um, or it even could be something as simple as having music playing, or things like um, you know that trick where you you snap the rope bundle open and drop it on the floor really dramatically. Yeah, um, something like that. You know, can have a really strong effect, particularly if somebody is blindfolded and they don't know exactly what's coming. For taste, you might you know well. They're, they're rope gags, right? You know, you, particularly if the person is not allergic, obviously, to mm -hmm. um, some of the natural fibers. Making a rope gag with jute is a really, that's a very intense thing. The scent of natural fiber rope, perfume or cologne or, or just the smell of, of clean skin um, can be really, really sexy. Or the scented candles or incense or any of those kinds of things that we think of as kind of romantic, romantic aspects. And then, of course, you know, the main thing with rope is touch, naturally, and thinking about the different kinds of rope and how they feel, whether you're tying over clothing or directly on skin, or whether you're tying over the clothes and then pulling the clothes away, mm -hmm. which is so hot. 
It is, right? <laughs> um, it really is. Or, you know, dragging the, the rope over the skin. Um, one of the things I like to do is have, you know, put my hand, have the rope on the, on the, my girl's skin and then my hand on top of the rope and then pull it so then I can feel what it feels like too. Um, and then there's additional pressure on her body. She seems to really like that, you know, and then vary this your to how hard they are or how gentle they are, those kinds of things, all the different kinds of, of, of touch that you can have. Um, even, even stuff like the, you know, what does your bedding feel like? What kind, you know, if you're, if somebody is in rope and lying down, what are, what are they on in addition to the rope? Um, just having, having nice textures there can be really, really sexy. Um, maybe tying body parts that are not as commonly played with. Uh, if you've got somebody who really likes having their feet played with, mm. for example, doing toe rope. I'm a big fan of toe rope, I have to admit. Hair ties. And, and Fox, I know that you're a fan of long hair. So I really am. Yeah. A thing that, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, those kinds of things. And then, and then obviously, you know, it seems obvious to say, but let's not forget that we can tie somebody up for the purpose of exposing them sexually hmm. and making different sex positions more more or less comfortable depending on what your intention is there um, and then I think the other thing that in Buddhists talk about there being six senses and the sixth one is the mind right yeah. so allowing allowing for you know role play scenarios it's kind of again sometimes I think particularly those of us in the MS world, we get into this kind of rigid idea of like, well, what we do is the serious 24 seven stuff and that role play stuff. Well, that's just for, you know, weekend warrior types, you know, they're not really serious to bedroom people, but really for heaven's sake, you know, we can't have fun with this stuff. Why on earth are we doing it? Right. Um, I think also, you know, just, just playing with emotions. And I think rope is fantastic for playing with like erotic shame, for example, yeah. because you're all tied up and somebody's going to do something to you and maybe you quote unquote didn't consent to it. So you can play with those kinds of fantasies, um, or fear or exhibitionism, all of those kinds of things. And then of course, predicaments, you know, any kind of predicament bondage that where you you have to you're trying to figure out a way out of it, but there really is no way out of it, and that's half the fun, right? Yeah. So I think I think really give ourselves permission to just explore the entire person, all of their senses, including all those inner senses, the emotions, the mind, and so on. Talking of emotions and the mind in your books, uh, which I'm a big fan of, uh, you talk a lot about rituals. So what kind of rituals can um, participants in a rope scene do to enhance that? Um, authority or power dynamic? Well, what I, um, well, we do quite a bit for my girl. She has certain, um, certain tasks that we do if we're going to, um, you know, have a date night or have a scene together. Um, typically I like to take a bath. So she will get the bathroom set up for me, put out the razors and soap and towels and all that sort of thing. While I am taking my bath and she will get our play space, which is our bedroom. Um, tidied up and ready and have all the toys out, have all the rope, dim the lights, have music, have water with a straw, all of those things. She's very good with that stuff. And that is, those are important rituals for both of us. For me, having the, the time by myself 
in a very relaxing environment, allows me to disconnect from all the worries of the day and set those things aside, gives me some time to make my plan. What do I want to do? What am I feeling like tonight? Is daddy or master going to walk into that bedroom? And then for her, having that space by herself where she has specific tasks, she knows exactly what to do and what order to do them. And that allows her to start to move into um kind of subspace and, uh, you know, get ready for that. Um, we have certain gestures and things that I really, really like. Things like kneeling and presenting the rope to me, you know, holding up a bundle of rope, like, okay, yeah, this is really what I want and I want you to take this. Presenting her wrists to be tied, for example. Um, she has, right now, she has short hair, but in the past she used to have very long hair. So things like holding her hair up or even while I'm there, taking her hair up and putting it up in a bun, um, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's this very, um, well, to me, very erotic gesture of, of submission of like, I'm, I'm getting this out of your way and I'm making this, um, this space for you that, that, that business of, of, of um, exposing the nape of the neck, mm-hmm. something about that, that really does it for me. Um, and then also things like having, affirmations as i was saying before where where you're reaffirming your consent and your desire i give i give myself to you whatever that or whatever words make sense for that particular couple like even simply something as simple as daddy please tie me up you know i mean that's um having those kinds of things in place i think any one of those can um act as sort of a positive trigger to flip people into um, their DS headspace. And if you put them all together, you end up with something very, very beautiful. All right. AJ, we understand that you have some fairly strong practical constraints on the way you can do your kinky play in the real world. Would you share with us a bit about that? Yeah. One thing, I mean, probably the most, the biggest thing that has been in the last few years Um, is that I have a disability. I have fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, I also have an anxiety disorder. Mm. Um, I was diagnosed with fibro in 2016. So we had a couple of years there of, you know, happy kinky play before I got sick. But one of the things that I discovered, you know, I I actually spent a lot of 2016 in bed, like not Mm. able to get up and about at all. But one of the things I realized is that even for somebody who has limited mobility and limited energy, that the rope is actually a doable thing. You know, you can, you can be sitting down, the top can sit in bed and, and hold the bottom essentially in their lap, right? Cradle them and still untie their wrists up. It's a very, you know, it's a simple gesture. It's not a big, huge, elaborate TK with suspension and all that good stuff, but it's rope and it makes people happy, right? Mm. It's much, much easier. Um, and times when I, there would have been no way that I could have done a flogging, for example. My shoulders could not have handled it. I could still tie her up. And as I said before, being tied is fantastic in many ways for um, as, a, as a grounding method or a soothing method for people who are experiencing anxiety or other mental health things. So that has been really, really helpful. And as I said, that's something I can do for myself, but it's also something that my girl can do for me as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has really, rope has, has really been tremendous in that way because it's allowed us to continue to play even at times when my physical health has not been good. Um, the other thing is just that we have always lived in 
fairly small spaces with um, neighbors close by. So we, we've had a great need for to be discreet in, in our play. We also, as I, as I mentioned, we have a child to protect our own privacy and be discreet with her. We, there, there are certain activities that we really practically can't do. Again, you know, our bedroom has a slanting ceiling. Floggers in there are a mess. I can't tell you how many times I've almost taken out a light fixture. That that doesn't work. My landlords would not be happy, right? Rope is quiet. Rope does not make noise. Um, It doesn't take a lot of space to do a rope scene. Um, You can do it with, you know, it's lovely if you have uh, suspension gear, and that's the thing you like to do, but you don't need any special furniture. You don't need a St. Andrew's cross and, and, you know, all kinds of other fancy dungeon stuff. You can do it just, you know, watching TV, literally. Definitely. Um, if you have a, yeah, you know, if you have, this is something that I learned years ago from a friend. If you need to have bolts in your ceiling as hard points, well, that's, that's where you hang your plants during the day. <laughs> and the yeah. plant comes down at night and seriously, you know, so yeah. it's, it's very rope allows, you can be very, very discreet with it. Um, it's also not weird to have rope in your house. You know, if you have a house sitter or something and they happen to come across a, a drawer full of floggers, they might raise an eyebrow. If they find some rope, well, okay, you know, you're doing macrame. You know? <laughs> There's a, a deniability or something there that you can have if you need it. Yeah, you, you need to like buy a cheap book about macrame and put it on top of your rope drawer <laughs> exactly. in case someone opens just, it. Right, exactly. Just leave that on top and all, all the other bondage books somewhere under that, right? Um, yeah. I think the other thing that we've been facing that's that's really quite a, um, it really up for a lot of people right now is just that we are quite geographically isolated where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in a, in a very small town and we are hours away from any metro center. So, you know, we have been able to have classes and things and wow, we're seeing everything is online. It's fantastic. I have done probably more rope classes in the last four weeks than I did in the previous four years, mm-hmm. just because everything is online and I don't have to travel for hours and hours and rent a, ho- you know, rent out a hotel yeah. room and all of that stuff. Um, and I think rope, it's pretty easy and cheap to put together a basic starter rope kit. You can just go to the hardware store and, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, not the most beautiful rope, but you can learn with it. Um, you can also learn on your own fairly easily, either with self-tying or tying furniture or what have you. You know, people learn how to tie up chairs, whatever. It, it, it helps. The other thing is, I think you can get more basic skills in rope from um, self-tuition, if you will, from books or YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's easier and safer to learn those things. I still would love to see people have in-person training to make sure that they are safe, um, particularly if they're going to do more elaborate bondage, but. Um, you know, you can, you can learn how to do a single column tie from YouTube a lot easier than you can learn how to use a single tail, for example, or do plate piercing, right? So there's, um, you know, I think there's, there's the fact that we have been geographically isolated for many years hasn't gotten in the way of our enjoyment of rope. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a consideration, uh, but it hasn't really been an impediment. Mm-hmm. Um, you have experience in a number of the different communities in the world of BDSM and alternative sexuality. So you had your experience with the women's and queer leather communities in San Francisco in the 90s that you talked about. And now you're in the pansexual MS and work worlds. How do you see those different communities growing towards greater inclusion? Well, I think that one of the things that I've seen over the 
gosh, almost almost three decades now, um, is that there is a lot more diversity in all of our overlapping communities. Um, there have, you know, there was when I came out, it was mostly uh, leather was a gay men's thing, and maybe some lesbians were allowed in, you know, <laughs> and there were certainly kinky straight people. But their own clubs, their own groups, nobody went to the same parties. Um, the idea of, you know, when we say pansexual, pansexual used to refer to events, not people, right? Um, it wasn't an orientation. It was a pansexual event simply meant that people of different orientations and different genders were all welcome. And the reason that that had to be specified was that that was not the norm. Mm. You either had your, your straight parties, you had your gay men's parties, and you had your lesbian and bisexual women's parties and narrow the three shall meet, you know? Um, so having, uh, that was only starting to happen, at least in San Francisco in the nineties. And now that's really quite normal. I mean, we still have, we might have a queer invasion party at like a local play space or something like that. But for the most part, the assumption is most events, at least the ones I'm aware of are pansexual. Um, and that's fantastic. I think there's also both in the the general kink world, but I think very specifically in the rope world, one of the most positive things that I'm seeing is greater acceptance of um, different body sizes and shapes. So, you know, like Evie Bain's work um, mm -hmm. or Lee Harrington's work. Mm. Um, and also people developing ties specifically for trans or non-binary people and really taking into consideration our emotional needs and the all of the sometimes trauma that we have about our bodies mm -hmm. and that everybody everybody can do rope regardless of what the um you know how their body is shaped what size it is their various physical abilities that rope is accessible that way and that people are working really actively to make that possible um i think that is absolutely fantastic um the other thing is an awareness of you know, mental health issues. Um, like I've seen a lot of people offering kind of cooperative rope jams or self tie things online recently, very specifically saying we're doing this for self soothing. We're doing this because we need to feel better. And this is a way of doing that. Um, I also see some, I, I'm, and I'm hoping to see more awareness of neurodiversity, mm -hmm. um, you know, having a kid on the spectrum. It's, I'm more aware of this and, and trying to see that our, the way that our communications run will be different depending on what a person's neurology is, how they understand spoken language, nonverbal language, and trying to uh, make people aware that they, some of the expectations we have around communication and consent may have to be tweaked a little bit if you're dealing with somebody who um, is autistic. So Absolutely. things like that or other, you know, has their conditions. Um, I'm also seeing again about the, the sort of self-soothing and all that, that there's more acceptance, I think, than there used to be of having different reasons for playing with rope. So, I mean, you know, a lot of us, I think, started out because it was just hot. <laughs> it was hot. Yeah. It got us <laughs> excited. But the and for some people, of course, there too, there's an artistic aspect to it. They they came at this because they saw something beautiful, like I want to do that. I want to take pictures like that, or I want to do performances like that. Uh, but the idea that all of those things are valid, like it's okay to do bedroom bondage because you want to tie somebody up and have your way with them, that that's completely cool. 
that you might want to integrate it with your, your DS or MS relationship. Uh, there might be a form of self-care. Uh, for some people, honestly, um, it's kind of an extreme sport. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, you, you have both talked about rope tourism, yeah. that this can be a way of building international community um, and that having the community aspect is fantastic. Um, and the other thing, I think probably the last thing is that I've seen a real democratization of education. Uh, you know, the, the community used to be very, very closed down for good reasons. People needed to be safe. And the way you were safe was by vetting everybody mm-hmm. who came through the door. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't just wander into that leather bar and not have people give you a side eye. And you might be shown the door if you clearly didn't belong there. And, you know, we've got all kinds of self-education now. Books, YouTube videos, video courses that are, they're, they're basically saying, do try this at home. <laughs> oh, really? Go, yeah. go try. Go, go have fun. Much more peer education. You know, the idea of, of the rope jam or um, unconferences, things like that. And the lots of the, uh, the online access to class at now. Again, I just, I'm, I'm really, really thrilled about that. And I hope that it continues um, once it's no longer necessary for health reasons. I still hope that we have access to those things. Um, and the other thing I think is that we've kind of moved away from, or I hope we're moving away from, a the rigidity about um, kind of fetish, fetishizing Japanese bondage as the be all and end all of rope. Yeah. Like I love, you know, I love shibari and kumbaku. This is beautiful stuff, and um, I kind of feel about it though the way I feel about um, the way people talk about old guard leather, you know. Yeah. I think there's a lot, there are a lot of myths associated with this and a sense of, well, those people knew what they were doing and they, you know, they are the masters and we just have to go and learn from them and replicate. They have always done it. They've done it for the last however many decades or hundreds of years, what have you. And I, I really think that we don't need to do that. You know, it is okay to have these hybrid styles, fusion, you know, like taking, taking rope um, knots and decorative knots for example that come out of um, the nautical tradition or something something Mm -hmm. like the things like the two naughty boys do you know jd lenson's work and and integrating that stuff into uh, rope bondage i think is fantastic and i really hope that that more of that happens and i'm seeing that i'm seeing people who identify themselves as i'm an american rigger by Mm -hmm. which they mean i'm not trying to i'm not pretending to be pseudo japanese i am just who i am i'm the guy from the bronx or whatever who likes rope and likes to tie girls up and take pictures of them you know and that that is totally okay or absolutely the integration of the damsel distress western mm-hmm. betty page stuff because yeah. for a lot of us at least here in the united states that was our early introduction um the perils of pauline kind of damsel in distress stuff and that yeah. I saw that stuff a lot earlier than I saw anything Japanese. So, you know, being okay with that and, and owning that and embracing that, I think is fantastic. And it's, I, I think that that is a, um, I, I think it's a really hopeful thing. And I, I hope to see more of it. That's brilliant, AJ. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your knowledge and experiences with us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Where can our dear listeners find you and your books online? Uh, the best place is my website, which is heartofds.com. 
And you there you can find links to uh, the books of mine that are in print. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, The Way of the Pleasure Slave is the main book. Which I highly uh, recommend. <laughs> as, the, as the title. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, the other place you can find the book is from the publishing cooperative that helps me bring it out. Uh, this is Raven Caldera and Joshua Tenpenny's AlfredPress.com. Alfred like uh, Batman's butler. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. where it actually comes from. Right. And they have a lot of wonderful, wonderful books um, about power exchange and spirituality and other things. So um, I recommend pretty much everything that they put out. But that is another place to find my work. And I am heart of DS on FetLife and welcome people to uh, find me there. That's beautiful. That will be all from us today at the Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and come find us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from our listeners. So drop us a message on FET and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.